Hey nerds, open up your ears and get ready to listen to the Hurley Edition. Hello, and I'm sorry I have interrupted your rock and roll. You were probably headbanging pretty aggressively right there, and I went ahead and just messed it up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but it was a good song. We'll listen to it later, all right? We'll listen to it on the way out. Anyways, thank you for uh, checking out the Hurley Edition. We're back here. Uh, little, uh, we're on an every other week schedule, but I do have a guest for next week, too, so we're back on an every week schedule. Listen, I, I, I said it from the outset. I just want to have good podcast, not podcast for the sake of podcast. So today I have a good podcast in that Rich Schertenlieb, co-host of Toucher and Rich, the highly successful morning program here at 98.5 The Sports Hub, was kind enough to join me. I, I accidentally maybe told him it would take like 45 minutes, and it took about an hour. So, you know, we get we talk about a lot of things. He's got a lot of stories, and you'll, you'll, you'll hear them all right here on the podcast, the Hurley Edition with Rich Shirtenleaf. The podcast right now. Go. Rich Shirtenleaf, co-host of Toucher and Rich, the highly rated, highly successful Toucher and Rich morning show. Mm. Thanks for taking the time. I've I wanted you to come on the podcast, but I also wanted to space out my my sports hub guests. Yeah, because you know I kind of mix it up. You know, the the, f- we're the phone it in ones, the ones you just go down the hall. And <laughs> no, it's, it's harder than you might think uh, to get <laughs> what, people. To get in. Sports hub? Who has said no? No one said no. It's just a matter of scheduling and timing, and you know, it's 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 a busy place. But okay. my time here is obviously uh, condensed now, so uh, I, I got to get everyone in while I can. Where are you so. going, by the way? Uh, CBS Boston. I, I won't feel the same without enough uh, Goodell anger in the building. I know. I wrote two Goodell stories yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least yesterday, at least yesterday it was worth writing about. Like it was, it was, that story was legitimately everywhere. Debatable. It's, it's when Goodell's <laughs> name has not been mentioned for several weeks and out of nowhere. It's just, hey guys, yeah. I have a theory. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say maybe they weren't the most hinged stories, but whatever. That's me. You okay. Know? Well, good. Good. Own, that's own why your you're brand. there. That's yeah. why you're there. So uh, you know me. I, I go on your show of every now and then. You know that I'm always like a notes guy. I always have my notes and my thoughts in order. Okay. Can I just can I just say something to your notes real quick? Yes. Before you start into that as a testament to what kind of notes you bring remember when we were at the Super Bowl <laughs> yes. and Roger Goodell was going to do a press conference and I was like alright I'm going to do everything I can to be able to ask this guy a question I'm like I want to get your question to ask him finally Hurley versus Goodell <laughs> you know if you can't get the question I want to be able to be the one to do it and I said hand me your question or, or tell me your question and you handed me something that I think I counted the words. It was a manifesto. It was. It was borderline 300 words. It's like if someone's been in prison for 13 years <laughs> and you give them a writing utensil and just tell them to scrawl their feelings on a piece of paper. <laughs> right. Yeah. I had to transcribe it because yeah. I couldn't quite read it, so I, I typed it into my phone, mm. and it filled up more than just the initial screen on the uh, little notes app. I had to like be able to scroll it to read it. At which point you said, maybe I shouldn't associate with a psychopath when, <laughs> when it comes to such matters. No, I thought it was great. I thought it would have been funny if I stood up and just <laughs> Kept talking <laughs> yeah. for two and a half minutes, reading the same question. Yeah, it didn't quite uh, didn't quite work out. But I actually wanted to talk about that. You know, we'll probably get into your press conference shenanigans later. But, okay. Um, but my notes here for you. Yeah. I, I like to you know prepare these things. They're all over the place. They're the thoughts of a madman. So I'll try Jeez, to get to what you, I can. You like really research this? Well, yeah. I try to you know set out some sort of of, okay. of map. But <laughs> your 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 career in history is sort of. Really, you know, there's a lot of different twists and turns. So I I think, you know, hopefully we'll touch on as much as I can. But I do want to start by saying, because I don't think, I mean, I don't even know if you know. You probably know. You're probably well aware. But I think whatever small, tiny blip I am in this crazy Boston media landscape, I think I owe entirely to you because you were the first person to to put me on the radio and and give me a microphone and I didn't fall on my face. So that was me? It was you. So you saw something in the craziness and I'm always thankful for that. So thank you for that. 
Um, it was someone I could belittle. So, yeah, well, so if anyone wants to get mad at anything I do, like why is Hurley here or there or whatever, it's you know they're going to come to you now. So. Right. Well, I mean, it's like it's funny. The other night I was talking. Hurley's always great on the show. He's got these articles that are kind of funny, and they, they take these angles. They for idiots like me who don't want to really think too much. Yeah. He kind of makes it. He puts it. He puts it in USA Today form. Something yes. I can easily understand. Not pictures, as much graphs. Pictures. You, know, you, you do have graphs and videos. Um, but uh, I said on top of that. He's kind of become the Newman on Seinfeld to the Michael Michael Felger. Like it's one of those things. Like oh boy, you know Michael Felger and and, and Hurley, and then you guys obviously got a little bit of a uh, publicity on the bit. on the whole taking time off to be with your wife who's pregnant. A little which, bit, which was great. That little was bit. funny. It was good. That was a good. You embraced a debate, as they like to say. Yeah, yeah. That's what I think. You know, sometimes people like Felger step it, and no one's there to just yell at him and challenge him. It's like why? It's pretty fun. It's yeah. it's a good it's a good release to scream at Felger. I don't I don't know. It works out. But you're saying there's a fear in that room. Nobody to challenge him. There's just not a lot of pushback to say, hey, hey. Maybe what you said is a little nuts. You know, there's just just that little, you know, resistance helps, I think. Right, right. But, um, well, thanks. I appreciate that. Good words are always good. But really, I want you in here to talk about Kennesaw, Georgia. How, like, is that a real place? You explain it on, on the show from time to time. And all I know, I mean, from what you say is that you're required to own a gun. Mm-hmm. That they sell KKK robes in downtown. Yep, mm-hmm. and there was something else, uh, something about the football stadium or team, or am I am I conflating uh, okay. something? So, so Kennesaw, Georgia. You have to understand. This my, is, you grew up. You weren't born there, but you grew up. I there. grew up there. We moved, I moved there when I was seven. My okay. family moved there. So my uh, father and mother they met in uh, Long Island, New York. We moved to Chicago. So these are fairly. There are places where there's a lot of culture and things like that. I mean, they're, they're big cities. And so my father got a job making, I think it was 28 grand. And this is like in the 80s. Like 28 grand was was not much when you, there were seven of us. Like I was one okay. of five kids. Adjusted for inflation, yeah. that's like 50 now, right? Yeah, maybe, maybe that. I don't even 50. think it was that Did much. Did you say then. seven kids? Seven kids. Oh. No, no, I'm sorry. Five kids, five. seven total okay. people. So we moved to this place called Kennesaw, Georgia. And Kennesaw, when you got there, there's a billboard on the way in that has a revolver on it that says, it's the law in Kennesaw on it. Because I guess a couple years before we moved there, some city in in like Illinois had passed an anti-gun law. And as a middle finger at FU, they actually wrote in their books that you are required to own a handgun by law. Which is the strangest law on the books. It might be. You have to own a gun? You have to own a gun. So did your dad buy a gun? Uh, no. No, it was never enforced. No, of course uh, not. He's okay. got a bunch of dumb kids who are going through all this stuff. Like, I knew where everything was when I was a kid. <laughs> you can't trust me with a gun, without a doubt. But we all had, like, um, yeah, I, I mean, it was, it, put it this way, in the downtown of the place, or actually, no, 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 I'm jumping ahead, our very first weekend that we were there, they have to say, my, my, my mother sounds like she's from planet Mars when she talks to people down south. They don't know where she's from because she's got the thickest Long Island accent. That you've ever heard in your life. Right. So she is like a New York girl. We get down there, and the very first weekend, we go to the town square, and there's a Klan rally. Mm-hmm. Very first weekend. Welcome to Kennesaw. I remember her turning to my father and saying, where the hell did you just move us? <laughs> what was the age range of your siblings and you? Uh, I was second to last. When we moved there, I was seven. My little sister was one. And then I had uh, an older brother at the time who I guess would have been... 12 and 13 and then a sister who's two three years older than me so everyone's basically growing up oh yeah no we're all growing up that's crazy from puberty to a baby at that point when we're there and welcome uh, to the clan rally welcome welcome to the clan rally so you know sure enough we go to school and we're around you know all these very strange people and i remember my high school they were taking us on a tour of the school 
And uh, this is when I got a little bit older. It's where my brothers went. And uh, they're taking us all on a tour when my brothers first got there. And they say, okay, so here's the cafeteria. Uh, and uh, down underneath the cafeteria, let's go down here. Uh, this is the firing range. And they had a shooting range. Okay. That was yeah. a class you could actually take called marksmanship in high school. Yeah. You, my, yeah, every school has that. Of course they yeah. do. You know, guns in high schools. You know what? <laughs> what, what could, could go possibly wrong? go wrong? And when I, it's 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 that's weird. insane. It's that's it's insane. crap insane. That like you can actually go to school. And the only here's the only thing I didn't know because I never knew anyone who took it when I was there. But it was like a um, what's it called? It was the same type of class as when you took a uh, like like car repair. We had that like an elective. Yeah, or... it, was like, it was like an elective. I take I'm it you don't. It wasn't mandated. No, 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 no. Well, I mean, listen, our school was so awful. Oh, God, there's a million reasons why it's god awful. Um, but one of them being, I would do, like, did you? I take it you didn't bring your own gun to school. I, I, they only used the ones that were there. Like possibly on Fridays, usually. On Friday, it's yeah. like bring your gun it's to like, school yeah, day. BYOG. Yeah, no, but like the education, not a strong point at this school. <laughs> um, the high school football team. I remember I was uh, I was actually in the freshman team at this time, and they took us out of class for a week. For the entire day uh, yeah. to sod the soccer field. Well, yeah. Which was essentially... How else are you going to sod the soccer field if you don't put children to manual labor work? And get them out of school. Yeah. Like, for what are you the gonna entire learn? day. English? Math? <laughs> right, like, things that you would normally learn. Uh, how many times do you use English when you could actually use the sodding skills you develop? Just, like, that's just, just common Google, sense. Just Google Kennesaw, Georgia, and you'll find interviews with the guy who runs the store that sells the Klan robes called Wild Man Dent Meyer's Civil War Surplus Store. And when you walk in there... Behind the counter, there's pictures of him standing with black people who have walked into the store. Like, oh. like he thinks it's funny that okay, I get yeah. to take a picture. You're brave enough to come in here. Let's take a picture. Yeah, Dude, that's not comfortable. It's weird too because I like you know people would always laugh about that store and like I would turn to Mary and because we you know we met in high school and I'd be like this is like where real evil exists. Like this is like an evil place and people are like ah it's a wild man. It's like, like pure human <laughs> hatred right. living embodied in front of you. And like and it's like in this really quaint, cute looking town square, like something out of the movie Footloose. And there's a dude selling clan robes in there. <laughs> And it's like, oh, wild man, come on. And he comes in here every day with the two six shooters on his side. Oh, he's the guy. And you're like, this dude is pure hatred. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> it's, it's awful. So my 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 feeling is, my question was going to be, how did you make it out of there? But I looked it up on Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. You got Little Yachty is a Kennesaw native. Uh, Dansby Swanson for oh, right. uh, baseball. I don't know if he's still playing. I think uh -huh. he, was, he was a big sensation. Uh, the singer of Jackal. Oh well, from, from everyone, everyone knew Jesse James Dupree. Like okay. he, he was. He you was, mentioned him on the air today. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was a few years older than us, but there was the. I don't know if you heard the famous story about how they got signed. It's like legend. Is that apparently he went into a restaurant while the air, while the A and R reps were in town and had a chainsaw and just walked in and chainsawed the table of the A&R rep. And they were like, this guy's such a wild man, I gotta sign him. Probably well, like 10 minutes after Ozzy ate a bat, right? Of course. Then, and this allegedly happened at the Longhorn Steakhouse that was near Town Center <laughs> Mall in Kennesaw. So that was like, the, it was known as the Jackal Longhorn. Interesting. Yeah, so he was there. The Black Crows actually went to the, my, the, the high school that my wife went to her freshman year called oh. North Cobb High School. So you had two high schools? Uh, so we both started at two different high schools and a new one was built that we ended up going to. Did hers have a gun range? Uh, hers did not have a uh, gun range. No, it did that's not. That's not the school you want to go not, to. No, not the one. Ours was the party school. There obviously. was a professional bowler also that made it out. So yeah. it's not, it's not. You know, but you weren't on the Wikipedia page. I wasn't. You got to maybe make that edit. See, if you go to our high school, like our high school apparently kicked out like a lot of professional baseball players. Like for some weird reason. I know that I went to school with... I don't know if you know who Bruce Suter was. Bruce Suter was a, uh, a pitcher, a pitcher, right? a pretty big pitcher back in the day. And his son Chad Suter was a friend of mine. We went to school together. But um, yeah, I mean, it was 
Dude, my school was jacked up. Like, I, there was like they would play jokes that if this thing, if, like, if there was the internet back in the day, everyone would get fired. There was one time they took me out of class because I was like the I was the class president at the time, and they oh, thought nice they could job. f with me. Thanks, it was quite an honor. But what <laughs> happened was uh, I got into uh, the, wait. How did a non-gun owner win class president in Kennesaw, it, Georgia? Well, it's because I was pro kick ass. I was pro NASCAR. Oh. I would always show up with like you know the you know uh, I would pour some out for my homie number three. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, but, I interrupted. So we, I got to, I got to school one day, and the um, there's a call of the loudspeaker. Rich Shirtley, could you please go to the principal's office? So I go there, and they want to see me in the office. And I sit down, and the the vice principal goes, uh, "Hey, Rich, listen, we did a locker inspection uh, last night, and we found something in your locker." And I was like, "What?" And he reaches under the desk and pulls out a bottle of Jack Daniels, and I look at it and I go. All right, that's not mine. I don't know how that got there. I sometimes rig my locker so I can open it. I don't have to put the code in. I don't know what happened, blah, 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 blah. And he's sitting there and he goes, you know that you are a couple of weeks from graduation right now. And I was like, I know, I know. We're just like a couple months away and I, I, it's not mine. I swear to you, I don't know what I could tell you. Today. And he's made me sweat there for like, it felt like an hour, but it was probably five minutes. He made me explain <laughs> right. myself. And then he goes, hey, Rich, what day is it? And I was like, uh, it's Tuesday. And he goes, no, what day of the month? I go, it's April 1st. And he goes, happy April Fool's Day. That would literally, you'd tell your parents, they'd call every news station in town. And everyone the would be fired. would be fired. Everyone would be fired. Kids would be there. banned from walking at graduation. It would be, it would be a whole <laughs> right. And I'm sitting there nearly... Like pissing myself. Yeah, this isn't. I'm this done. isn't the '70s. You're not 60 years old right no. now. This is. This is not that long ago. No, this was like just hey. on the cusp of when you can get away with that. Yeah, that was about. I mean, right nowadays it could never happen. So I mean, I've got a million stories about that town, but it's the the way we got out was because my wife, who I met when I was 16, we started dating. When we were in high school. Just Me found, too, by the way. Oh, did you really? Yep. You when did you? How old are you guys? How old are we? Or no, no, were you when you met? We met when we were like 15. We started dating when we were 16, 17. Ever break up and get back together? Nope. Awesome. You did it right the yeah, first time, know. baby. She couldn't get enough. The Burlington Mall is a majestic place to meet your future wife when you're 15. That's where, what I always Where say. was your first date? Uh, geez, we probably went, I mean, just like, you know, teenagers hanging out, but like going somewhere. I, we just spent a lot of time at the 99. I oh, was, yeah. I was dropping $20 bills. Oh, hell like, yeah. Like the bill would come to like eighteen fifty, and I'd be like, oh, I only have a 20, but there we go. There it is. So. Yeah, making it rain pizza dillas. Just showing off my lifeguard money. So <laughs> anyway, how you made it out, your your wife. We just found it funny. Like we found everything funny. And it was like, you know, all the weirdness that was around us and all the all the rednecks. It was, was she just, born there or did she move there too? She was born uh, close to there, like, you know, 10 miles away. But most of her life she spent it there. And you know, we just found everything hysterical about the town. And um, and Mary was, was a very good student, and I was okay enough to get into Georgia Tech. So we both kind of, you know, went there together and followed each other together, and we, you know, made our way up here. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's strange. Also, I kind of still had the outsider's personality because my parents weren't from there. Right. So you weren't ingrained. The culture wasn't in your, no, in your blood. No, no, it, it, it wasn't. But I, I will say one thing that's kind of funny with all the uh, – the Confederate battle emblem stuff that's been going on now and the, the rebel flag everywhere. Like when I was younger, there was a guy who ran for governor of, uh, of the state and his whole platform, like the number one thing was that he would keep, 
the Confederate battle emblem on the state flag. His name was Sonny Perdue. So he gets elected. Of course his name was Sonny Perdue. Well, of course, Sonny. So he gets elected, and one of the first things that he does is that like all of these people want to change the, the flag, and so he finally succumbs to it and goes, all right, I'm going to change the flag. And people all over the place had signs in their front yard that said, Sonny lied, with all of these stars and bars on it. People at my high school, when Malcolm X came out, would wear, um, uh, you know, everyone had the X shirts. Remember that? Yeah. It was like X for Malcolm X and the hats back in the day, yeah. like in the early 90s, had X on it. Uh, they would uh, wear shirts with the Confederate flag on it. it says, you wear your X, I'll wear mine. Mm. There was a, I'm not kidding you, there was a dude, and there's a picture my wife has from when we were at school. She brought her camera to school one day, and there's a guy who had a shirt that had four guys wearing clan hoods, and it said, the original boys in the hood on it. No. No. How about this? How about not much has changed to the point where my wife was going through pictures of some people we went to school with, and one of their kids, a boy who's about eight, went as a Confederate soldier. Normal. Normal. <laughs> Normal. Normal. Could you imagine that? That's like awful. Here? It's just so bad. It's it's, it's a weird it's a weird world, and the, and the, the the scary thing about all of it is like a lot of the people who are down there are naturally good people who have just grown up in a in an environment where that's just right. normal. Right. Like it's like it's like um you know the Confederate flag never meant that you were pro slavery. I think it just meant you were from the south. But now that people know that like it's it, this people should know better now. But right. now that they're but they're dressing their kids as Confederate right. soldiers. Now. Well, when the kids are getting pulled out of history class to sod the soccer field, they're they're not learning what they need to learn. <laughs> That's an excellent point. So was was plan was plan A for you to take the rock star life out of Kennesaw or did that like what was your what was your plan career wise? That was it. Yeah. Like I, I wanted to be in a band more than anything. And um and I got together with a bunch of guys. The first show we ever did, um, I was fourteen and I just started calling clubs around Atlanta at the time, like nightclubs, not telling them how old I was. I'm sure and you sounded very mature. I sounded great. I lower my voice. I even set up like a uh, a fake management company for us. It was 422 Management for that my sounds birthday. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I would I would send these guys demos. Like we went and recorded a demo. We were 14. I would be belated, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't send a promo picture so they didn't know how old we were. And um, my very first show, we played this bar. And I was 14, our drummer was 16, and the bassist was 15. And it was this bar that was just like, it was called the Rec Room, W-R-E-C-K, and it was like a biker bar. Okay. And the guy was kind of pissed. And you were singing? I was singing and playing guitar. I was the singer and I played guitar too. And um, and that evolved into like the real band I got into when I was 16. How'd you make it out of there alive? Uh, We just played, collected our, I think we got like 30 bucks. Because my dad showed up and my mom showed up and we got like, I think it was something like $4 for every person who came to see us. Not bad. And um, and so we left and 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 then, then I started the band Miller's Tale when I was 16 and that's when things started catching on. When I was 17 years old, we played a show for a band that had just gotten a record deal called Stuck Mojo and they liked us. And so they started like booking shows with us, taking us on tour throughout the Southeast. It seemed like it was pretty legit. Yeah, those guys were a good band. And as a matter of fact, I was in a band with the guys from Seven Dust. So um, we were like a cover band. Mm-hmm. You ever heard the band Fozzy? It's got Chris Jericho, the wrestlers in it. Yeah. Okay, well, the guitarists were Stuck Mojo's and Fozzy. And Fozzy's around because we started a, a band that was kind of a funny cover band. Mm-hmm. And it was called Fozzy Osbourne. 
And so we were the Rock Boys, and then then it was Fozzy Osbourne. And from our band that me and the guitarist from Stuck Mojo started, Fozzy started. And interesting. And the guy, one of the guys from Seven Dust, was in our band as well. And so Seven Dust and us came and we we played a bunch of shows together. They were from the same scene, uh-huh. and they of course took off and did whatever, and and we did not. So, but I mean, it was pretty. You guys were. I mean, according to your Wikipedia page, which is you know a great source of information, <laughs> always is. It says you were on the same label or whatever as like some serious bands. We Nirvana, were ma- maybe. Yeah, we were managed by Gold Mountain, which Gold Mountain, um, Gold Mountain used to manage Hole, uh, Nirvana, the uh, the Foo Fighters, and. Uh, Beastie Boys, but what happened was they branched off, and so they're the two heads of the company. One went to Los Angeles and took all of like a lot of those like the rock bands with them, and the other one went to Nashville. And since they were close to us, they started building their roster again. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Hank Williams III, the grandson of Hank Williams, uh, saw us in concert and went to his management company and said, "We want you to sign these guys." And Hank Williams III, if you've never seen him before effing rules he's like the first half of his set he goes out there it's traditional country he's yodeling he sounds exactly like his grandfather and he's the most polite guy in the world and he goes all right guys i'm glad you enjoyed our set we're going to be back in about five minutes i just want to warn you for the people who came for the country stuff it might get a little crazy so we'll be back in just a moment he goes backstage and when he comes back out he has lowered his hair taken off the cowboy hat the hair goes down to his ass (laughs) And everyone in that band is now playing the most screaming, over-the-top death metal you've ever heard. Like, I mean, it's amazing. And you see these people in cowboy hats looking at each other, and then they start, like, fighting and pushing each other. They have songs called, like, I'm Drunk Again. It's all about fighting. and it's Pistols in the Air, Oh, Yosemite I mean, Sam. Dude, it's awesome. And I remember just falling in love with that band and the fact that he, um, when they came into town, I called the local club and I'm like, can we open for them? And it was from that that he got us the management deal. And they... They flew us out to Los Angeles to record a demo, and we, we worked with a guy who was like Rick Rubin's right-hand man. He was like the mixer for um, a lot of the albums. At the time, he was recording the Audio Slave album. Audio mm-hmm. Slave was not a thing yet. And I remember one day at the studio, he brought in a, uh, a demo of Audio Slave like noodling around in the studio. And at the time, I think it was... W- what's the first song on the album? It's not. It's Cochise. You know yeah, the yeah, one... Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, Bru- okay. the Bruins, the Bruins used it for a while. Song. That's right. So he brought in a demo of it, and it's the band playing the track, but Chris Cornell had not yet figured out the lyrics. So it's him going literally this. Ya baba doo la 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 Like he knew the vocal line. Just a he, yellow Ledbetter lyrical performance. Exactly. He didn't know the actual words he was going to put to it. So we're sitting there listening to this new supergroup. And it was actually, it was really kind of cool. And he had all these stories about recording Johnny Cash and how crazy that was because Rick Rubin was working on that at the time. Um, so we recorded, and then it was sent out to a bunch of labels, and it was universally rejected. <laughs> so well, that happens. Uh, yeah, that does happen. It was fun. So the music career, like most people's, hits an end. Yeah. And then how did you get started? Ra- you were at 99X. Was that your first radio job? Well, I was doing the band when I was still in college at Tech, and I worked at Georgia Tech, the college radio station, because I thought that if I worked there, they'd play my music. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, then I learned quickly that's not how it works. And so w- I, I enjoyed doing that. And while I was at Tech, I, I was looking for an internship, and I, I called a bunch of radio stations. And the first one I called was 99X, because that was the big rock station in right. town. And I got a call back within a week. And they needed an intern. It's actually kind of funny. The reason I got into radio 
or how I got my foot into radio was because the guy before me was a massive F up. Like he had the opportunity of a lifetime and he, and he completely screwed it up. That tends to happen too. It does. And that's, and, and it's, it's, it's funny. It's like when I talk to people who are trying to get into radio, I'm like, you know, 90% of it is just not screwing up once you get there. Mm-hmm. And this kid had been an intern for about six months. And I guess for those six months, they, the people on the morning show were giving him money to go to this bagel place down the street and get them breakfast. Like every morning they give him like five, 10 bucks. Tell me he was skimming like 80 cents a day. Uh, it's even worse than that. So after doing that for six months, one of the hosts, Jimmy, goes to the bagel shop on the weekend, and the owner's there, and he goes, hey, Jimmy, how's it going? He's like, hey, how, how you doing? He goes, hope you're enjoying the free breakfast we've been giving you every morning. And he goes, hmm, free <laughs> breakfast, you say? And they calculated, and it was something crazy, like $700 he had taken from them. And so they brought him in, they fired him. They He heard my voicemail that I called him, called me in, and that's how I got on the radio. That's where our parallels diverge, because I was in a band, yeah. met my wife in high school, did college radio, applied for an internship at BCN, didn't get it. Oh, really? So that's <laughs> it where... It, it didn't happen. That's how, where our life parallels broke. So how did you get to, to BZ? Like, is that, is that, was that your... Is that kind of how you got here? Uh, I worked at Nesson first oh, oh, for a few years. Oh, that's right. You did write for Nesson. That's um, right. What's was, it like working at Nesson? Mm, not, not great. It wasn't great when I was there, but uh, I don't know. I mean, that was eight years ago, so it's... Maybe different now. I don't know. Okay. It wasn't. It wasn't great, but it was an opportunity, and so I, three years was my max. And I made. I luckily got a connection at CBS Boston and got out. And then got, it got out pretty quick. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's yeah. good. So it was. You know, it was what it was. But that my my radio career didn't blossom the way maybe it would have. <laughs> I don't know. I never know. So, so it started as an internship. They obviously liked you, and then you sort of became like the zany the zany. Radio guy, right? I, I just started on my own because the one thing I didn't want to do is, you know, when you, as an intern, I didn't want to go and like rock the boat too much. Right. I, I wanted to sit and I wanted to learn, but I also knew that if they called on me, I didn't want to suck. This is like the late 90s? Uh, this is late 90s. This is 99. Okay. Um, and so I, I realized they, ha- they, they had a microphone there. And one day I asked one of the hosts, like, hey, you mind if I go out and record stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the middle of the conversation, like, yeah, sure, whatever, fine. And I went and did this bit with this uh, microphone, a hidden microphone. And I went to a music store and went to try out microphones and they set up everything and said, hey, you know, what does this amp do? And they hooked it up to an amp and when he walked away, I just cranked it and started screaming as loud as I possibly could. I mean, I was like, a, I was a, like a hardcore singer at the time, so I just like death screams. I got uh, a Rollins vibe from your, <laughs> this, the music you sent me. Is that is that fair, a fair assessment of uh, your style? That song was was fairly Rollins. Okay. Yeah, because it was like the, the talking and yeah. you know, the lecturing. But then the yelling. Yeah, and then like, yelling and, and a little bit a little bit of singing. So. so a little hardcore, a little... Yeah, we, we were like, um, we all looked normal. We all looked like bankers, mm. but we sounded like snapcase meets helmet meets the melvins you know we would spit on each other on stage what were your names smash our gear your first names like oh it was rich travis chris and joel no 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 not bound for stardom like my (laughs) there was a point where i looked at my bed i was like mike brian frankie and phil i'm like we're not going anywhere like you need like a a, like cyrus or like sure like you need something exotic you gotta go through the rock and roll car wash give yourself a cool name yeah yeah no we had rich and joel's not not happening no 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 and i I, there was no like look for us although i used to just wear stuff to piss people off like we would play these these hardcore clubs and i would buy like a j crew t-shirt that said j crew real big on the front nice just because i liked that like i liked going on stage and people like going oh my god who are these Prepping nerds, and then we would go up. I guess that was kind of our steez, mm-hmm. and then we would go up and just start 
blowing people's faces off. <laughs> melt melt their face and screaming about the government and, sh- and stuff like yeah. that. So It's okay. I got a bleep button. Okay, good, good, good. Um, but I feel like one of the strengths of your sh- strengths of your show now is that neither you nor Fred really give a crap about, you know, being in an awkward situation or having an uncomfortable spot in an interview. It's almost like you sort of and you've done that with a lot of bits over over the years. Is sure. That, is that something you've always had, just sort of that ability to just, like, tune out, check out, and just get done what you need to get done? Or did you have to, like, overcome some sort of uncomfortable hump to, <laughs> to start messing with people? Well, I think, I think um, I, 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 we're not afraid to get embarrassed, if that's what you mean. Like, I mean, that's because, I mean, I, I, I know for... I mean, Fred's really good at it. I mean, Fred's very self-deprecating, and I like getting him fired up. But for me, I can't speak for him, but for me, it's just, I guess, a, ever since I was 14, I would be on stage. I would hear people yelling horrible things like, you suck. And you, I mean, you just get thick skin very quick. Yeah. And I think that being in a band helped that. And I, when I started in radio, I didn't care if I was embarrassed. I just cared that they wanted more of me. You know, right. whatever it took to get me more airtime, I would do anything they told me to do. I didn't care. But I also knew that there was a means to an end. Like, I didn't want to be... The uh, big guy for 30 years? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's, there's like, a guy in Atlanta who's maybe 50-something, and he's still, like, big guy. Yeah. And I never wanted to be that. Like, I knew what it took to hopefully get to the next level. And uh, not that... I mean, listen, I, I love creating bits and stuff like that, but I just did. That's... I, I knew that it was There's a means a to an end. Right. I had a plan, put it that way. Did you ever fear for your safety? I imagine that had to come up a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll go back to the, the bit where I screamed in the microphone until because they turned it off, and then I turned it back on again, and then they turned it off, and then I went and I hooked up, I sat behind the drum kit and just like, went crazy, and, and they would always, you know, they'd threaten to call the police. And and so there was a time I did a tour of Homes, and it's this beautiful tour home, and I brought a, a CD by the band Carcass, and I just put it in the <laughs> the stereo system that goes throughout the entire house, and I just effing cranked it as loud as it possibly could. And, of course, they didn't like that, and they turned it off, and I went back when no one was looking and did it again, and it was always like, I'm going to call the police. Yeah. And, and that's when you you knew it would leave. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that that stuff, it fake, happened a fake lot. Fake Star Wars spoilers, too, right? Uh, yeah, I did that. Like, uh, that was... I that's a, a violence. That's a hostile situation you created right there. I had a lightsaber thrown at me. It was before the Phantom Menace came out. No, it was it was whatever the, the, the third one was. I, yeah, I, I forget. Those all suck anyway. So I got up to the front and... Um, I said, attention, everybody, uh, welcome to the very first showing of Star Wars, the blah, blah, blah. And it was all these guys dressed as like Darth Vader. And, you know, uh, and I said, I got to tell you, I've seen the movie and it's amazing. And the crowd goes, and "And the ending has a twist you won't believe. (laughs) And here's the ending. And I, of course, went out. I just started yelling stuff, making up stuff that didn't happen. And and by the end of it, I'm saying, you know, it was Earth all along. And they drowning me out, literally throwing stuff. They, you know, got their security, the guy with the, you know, the the stun gun yeah, the flashlight to get me out of there. But that was about it. That's something. Yeah. So, yeah. So so you did that in Atlanta for what? Three years? I did it for... Four years? Till 2003. So I started in 99. Yeah. So about about four years. And at that time, the band, because I was still with the band then. And at that time, uh, I took a little time off to go do the band full time. And then for six months when we recorded the demo and everything. And then while we were waiting around for someone to do it, I was like, hey, I'll go back and work at the station. So they put me back in the morning show. 
And then our drummer left, and Joel. Uh, no, uh, Travis. Ah, oh, Travis. Travis is Travis Barker. Okay. He's gone on to some big things. This guy might be better than Travis Barker. Yeah. I'm just saying that there's a. He's in a band now called Weed Eater, which I guess is kind of a big band, but um, a big band in that kind of in that world. Wheat or weed? Weed. Okay. Weed eater, and um, he is one of the most unbelievable drummers you've ever seen. There's videos of him just like, I mean, he looks like a, like a dirty redneck and with the long hair and he's just got tattoos all over. He could have been big. I think we held him back. He was going to go into the music no matter what. No matter what. He's a lifer and he's still a lifer. He's touring all over the place right now with this band. He like, they tour with clutch all the time. You ever to clutch? Uh, you've heard of them. Okay. They're a cool band, but this band tours with them all the time. You seem like you don't regret not pursuing music. No, I loved music, and it was yeah. my number one thing I wanted to do. But this is the this is the greatest backup plan of all time. So what had happened is that point when he left the band, I had gotten a job offer in uh, Texas from a guy named Kid Craddock, who was syndicated at the time. I think on like forty five stations. So he must have heard your your stuff, and and he, he reached out to you. He did. There was a consultant that worked for the station that we were on, and they were looking for somebody who to freshen up the show or something like that. And it was like a top forty show. And I originally told the consultant, I was like, I can't. I'm not going to do top forty. It's not me. I'm in this hardcore band and whatever. And he goes, just meet him. So they flew me out there. I talked to the guy. He's like everything I I wanted to be in a radio guy in the way that it seems that like doesn't every market have I, I can't really think of Boston's version of it, so it's not really fair. But most markets have a guy who's been in radio forever who had like a ton of success. Is that Lockwoodera in Boston? Maybe I don't know. D- yeah. did, did he take his foot off the gas? Because there's I always so. there's a there's always somebody who like just and like they ended up being on like the older person station and then they just disappear. Yeah, he like, he kind of disappeared quickly. I would say I don't okay. know the history. I'm no I'm no Chachi in here. So All right. Know. Well, maybe that was it. But he was the antithesis to that. Like he was a guy who was older, but he was number one, stayed number one, and like was like loved radio and yeah. never wanted to be the guy that started slacking. So we hit it off really well, and it was a really good gig. Like, I mean, it was more money than I'd ever seen in my life. Like, I, I wasn't used to making anything. And so they hired me, and I was there for three years. And meanwhile, Fred got the, the morning show. He was the night guy. Yeah. And we had become really good friends. Like, we were the youngest guys at the station. We kind of made fun of everyone else in the front of the room. And, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just kind of we, – we remained friends, and our thing was – We'll do. Let's do a show together. But you never did one, right? In Atlanta. No. Well, now you might have like crossed paths. We or... did. Like I would sit in his show sometimes, and we'd BS, and he would help me with some bits in the morning, and um, and we would always, you know, do crossovers and things like that. We would always drop in on each other's shows. But still, isn't the idea of just having a a friend and someone that you work well with working for eleven years? Isn't that kind of insane? It's the secret to having a successful morning show. Liking the person. Uh, liking the person and being legitimately someone that you could talk forever with anyway. Yeah. It's, it, it's, um, I see so many shows that are put together by consultants because they have no other choice, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. well, this guy's the straight man. This guy's the funny one. And it's rare that two people will go together and say, we are, you know, looking to do this together. I would think it's true. It's, it's like, um, if, if I've always said this, if you're looking to get in a radio, find one or two people that you could literally sit and talk to forever and just BS and it makes everything worth it i mean yeah. fred fred and i have had situations where people have like said well have you ever thought about doing your own thing have you ever thought about you know the, like fred and i i like to look at as kind of like a gang i mean there's been people who have you know tried to split us up to do stuff like that but the coolest understanding in the, in the world is knowing that fred and i are going to be we're going to do the same show together like right. and and there's no you know we we fight on the air but we also realize 
this is stupid. Right. You know, what we do is awesome and we're fighting about millionaires with, with bouncy balls. You know, <laughs> well, it's really hard too because you see each other, I would say, I don't know about you, at your grumpiest point of the day at 6 a.m. Sure. Like, get out of my face. Yeah, get, yeah. Get, like, don't even look at me. That's how I feel at 6 a.m. So like, I don't know about, think of you our, probably get used to it. But. Well, we do. I mean, but think of our, like, I mean, if you can, if you've ever heard us fight, just think about our worst fight. Yeah. And just know that as soon as the mics were off, it was like, <laughs> right. You know, it's like, who cares? Right. And, and that's just, you have to have that in order to stay to stay successful. Right. You got to actually be a friend of the guy. Now, Fred can drive me crazy. I can drive him crazy. But I I like to think that's the, the part of it that might make the show work. It's like a marriage, they yeah, say. Don't it's say like, that. It's like a union. It's like a marriage <laughs> there. I know. It's like you like spend more time man. than your wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. Uh, but like I've, I talked to Hardy uh-huh. uh, about his apprehension about going to Boston. I talked to Fred. He wasn't apprehensive, I would say, but he had never been to Boston. And so it wasn't. Uh, it was it was like sort of an, an, a great unknown to him. Yeah. You don't strike me as someone that really worried about fitting in in Boston no. or anything like that. It was less about the city than it was the situation at the time because when we got hired, you were doing were you, you came to do mornings or afternoons? Mornings. Yeah. So so what happened was there was a um, uh, Fred and I, you know, Howard Stern said he was leaving. Right. And we were like, well, this is there's gonna be a lot of markets that are gonna need shows. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know at the time the whole plan with David Lee Roth and everything. So that we knew that this was our. This was our chance. My contract was done at the end of 2005. Fred's found a way to get out of his. And so the guys at CBS I'd become kind of friends with, like Tony Berardini and Chris Olivero were guys that I went and talked to and at a morning show boot camp, which is this thing where a bunch of guys in Hawaiian shirts get together. But the reason I go- is A lot of health food. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's really attracted to A lot of morning vegetables. Shows, including myself. So, um, but we knew that we were going to be doing something. So I made like a little bit of a tape and- I, I told Tony Berardini and I and I told Chris Olivero, you know, I met them through our consultant and I told them what our intentions were. So once Fred and I were officially free agents, uh, they flew us to Phoenix to do a demo together, me and Fred. And I told them, I was like, hey, there's this guy named Crash who we really like. We're both friends with. He's got this crazy life. Can he come with us to record this to see how it works out? And they said, sure. And then I was like, hey, there's this guy named Adolfo. <laughs> you know, He's just kind of around. <laughs> right, right. So we went out to Phoenix uh, and did two, three shifts from midnight to five in the morning because I guess they didn't want anyone to really hear the show. They just wanted to get tape on us. Right. That, one, that went out over the air? It went out over the air from midnight to five in the morning at one of those like free FM talk stations that was out there. And we loved it. We knew that this was it. And yeah. so we sent them the demo and they basically told us, all right, here's the deal. We're going to call and tell you what market you're going to be in. All right. And they called us and told us it was Boston. And the situation was because David Lee Ross sucked. This was like in March. Matter of opinion. (laughs) I thought it was fascinating because it was so bad. (laughs) It's a subjective evaluation right there. But they knew that they were getting rid of him. And they said that, you know, we need someone to take over for David Lee Roth. And we're like, okay, well, this is cool because you never want to replace the guy. But replacing the guy that replaced the guy is okay. You're a hero. Yeah. You got a cape on. You came in no matter how. You got rid of that bum. You're right. You'll never be as bad as David Lee Roth. That's the one thing I felt confident in. And then, like, after we signed our contract, almost the day after we signed it, it was announced that Opie and Anthony were going to be taking over mornings for BCN. And we're like, all right, well, what the hell does that mean? Right. And they said, well, it means you'll be doing afternoons now. I'll put you on the afternoon. And I was like, well, that's even better. Because you got Opie and Anthony who are going to... We have such little pressure to succeed. Right. And we have these guys in Opie and Anthony that we'll hopefully form a relationship with. And, you know, they, they obviously have a big fan base. 
And, you know, we kind of hit it off with them and they were really good to us in the early days. And I think that helped out a lot. The pests were big fans of the show and it was nice. They, they, they helped launch our careers ONA as much as anybody. Yeah. So that was, it was a, it was a massive it was a soft landing. It wasn't, it like was, ad, it wasn't adversaries everywhere you looked it, when you walked in as outsiders. Oh, there were a lot of people who were like, you'll never make it. Uh-huh. And, I, mean, they, I mean, you hear that everywhere. But not 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 as much as when the station flipped. But at that point, it really helped to have Jim Norton saying nice things about us on the air, and 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 Opie and Anthony yeah. and and their fans. So that was a huge help. So the city wasn't as much the. I didn't care where we went. I really yeah. didn't. I I just wanted the situation to be good, so where we could where we could succeed. And I feel like we could probably spend hours talking about all the the great times of working as a as a rock DJ and in <laughs> your what late twenties, early thirties. Yeah. But in my research here for these notes, I came across a beach, uh, no, not beach, a pool, a roof pool party with Seether. So it's got to be cool that you don't have to do things like that anymore. <laughs> that was weird. That's going to be a huge relief to not yeah. be like, hey, here's Seether. Yeah. Well, um, well, Fred, the one great thing about Fred is that, you know, he kind of made his bones uh, and when we were at 99X. bands he didn't like? He would. Yeah. He would like, like, he was, remember when Limp Bizkit was the biggest band in rock radio? Like, for a time when Nookie came out? Is that not a past thing? Because in my mind, they're still, they're still A1. Up there. Yeah. Well, you still got the tattoos to show yeah. it, you know? You got a chocolate starfish on there and... Nine red Yankees hats to, oh. you know, depending on my mood. Oh, yeah! <laughs> ben Stiller, you know I love you. I, when he said shout out to people in his songs, that's the worst. It's like douche chill and juicing, but Fred refused to play them. And he was on the night show on a rock station and he refused to play Limp Biscuit. Every time it would come up, he would say, I refuse to play them. And our program director, to her bet I mean, to her credit, thought it was so funny that she let him do it. And the labels got pissed. So bands would come in that were like friends with Limp Biscuit, like Power Man Five Thousand, oh, yeah. like had this whole shtiz like they were from the future. And Fred would interview them. Like asking them about what happens in the future entirely. Like, you know, who wins the World Series and blah, blah, blah. Dude, I don't know. But you're from the future. Yeah, we say that. All right, so blah, blah, blah. And he would just, he would insist on just ripping on them to their face, which was always very funny. But it was always people who deserved it. Like, he right. wouldn't do it just to be shocking or whatever like that. It was very douchey bands he would just... Right. Point so out the douche. does it suck then? Like when last week when Bronson Arroyo comes in and he's not a douche and he's like it, actually cool. I it, it doesn't That's suck. Kinda, it it's kind of ma- sucks. It's a massive relief actually because when you know he's coming in. As a matter of fact, when we were offered Bronson Arroyo, I was like, oh man. I'm like, I don't. We make fun of him all the time. So we told them as long as he knows we've made fun of him all the time and we've called him a douche and his music douchey, <laughs> then if he's cool with that, we'll have him in. And to our surprise, they said, yeah, Bronson Arroyo is totally cool with that. So when he came in studio, uh, it was one of the first things we said. We said, I, I want you to know we've yeah. made fun of you. We even played like the JTM hot dog yeah. song. Which he made. made fun of himself. Which he made Just fun of touch of meat. Yeah, it was great. So he he started off saying, yeah, my cornrows were awful, but here's why. Right. Yeah, I'm kind of a douche. I was a douche back in the day. But, but my dad he, was insane. But my dad was insane. And to that, it's not only a massive relief, but the radio side of you goes... This dude's good radio. Yeah, the the response. I think everyone. I mean, I was just like everyone else. Like this, I like Bronson Arroyo now. That would I didn't. I didn't wake up today expecting to be like, oh, Bronson Arroyo. Yeah, love him. Well, we've kind of had some good luck with that. Like, I mean, um, and a lot of it is 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 Fred and and his ability to you know get to yeah. like talk to someone like a human being, like Merriweather. Well, like Merriweather. Well, I mean, how about better example? Roger Clemens. Like everyone hated Roger Clemens here, and they right. still hate Roger Clemens for the most part. But when we got him on. Like something weird happened. Like he became, and I, I once again I, I give Fred all the credit. 
he kind of became a normal human being, became somewhat self-deprecating. And by the end of the interview, people were like, I didn't want to like, yeah, yeah, I, I didn't want to like him, but I like him. I remember that one. And, you know, and 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 there's Beckett been a f- too. Beckett wasn't bad. Josh when everyone Beckett. hated Beckett. Yeah, that was another thing. So I I give Fred all the credit in the world on that. He's he got loosens a, them up a little bit. He loosens them up, and then but, you come in with the question that had the person not been loosened up, it would have been a stonewall, uncomfortable. Sure, but you're sort of you have a little opening. Well, I I, I know that and you there's, always take it. I know that there's questions that need to be asked if you have certain people on. Yeah, but Fred does such a good job making people feel comfortable that I'll only ask them and I'll try not to be like a, I, I never want to be like an attack dog for these mm-hmm. people. I mean, but, but you, you know, th- you find a way, thanks to Fred, it's an easier opening to ask questions that are the quote unquote tough questions. Right. right. So, I mean, we're talking about the sports. You had to change the sports. You've been in many publications talking about how you stomped your feet and just hated the format. Yeah. And I mean, even is the story I relate to that is I left Fenway Park after the Red Sox won the World Series in 2013 mm-hmm. at like you know one in the morning and I'm driving home and I listen to either us or the cross street like I don't even know who it, who I'm listening to yeah. but a caller's calling in like yeah well we got to work on the free agency uh, and we got it's like literally won the World Series like five minutes ago enjoy like, it smile yeah like you know just smile for a second so I understand that the 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 way it was certainly before the sports hub existed was definitely I don't know toxic but angry yep enraged and you never really wanted to bring that to it but i mean what was your sports background like i i i, I can't gather because everyone comes on and like Heyman says you guys are big red sox fans and obviously uh no that's that's not how uh things work but. No, no 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 i mean i well i was i was a big basketball fan like i always loved basketball my whole life i like basketball um and that was i mean uh, and, and shockingly and weirdly i was always around the celtics it's like that was the team that my it's weird. My grandmother's brother-in-law used to play for the Celtics. His name was Ed Lead, L-E-D-E-E, and he played with Bob Cousy. He was on the team for two years. He probably but, has his number retired. Yeah, I know. Everyone <laughs> seems to. Uh, but because of that two years that he played with them, I mean, you, know, how, you don't know of anybody who has somebody who played professional basketball with like a big team or like a professional sport. I mean, it's rare to find that. So when you do... Everyone latches on to that one team. And like I remember going to my grandma's and there was Celtic stuff all over the place. And so they were kind of the adopted team. And back in the day, one of the first games I ever went to was Doc Rivers, Dominique Wilkins, and Spud Webb from the Atlanta Hawks versus Larry Bird and, and Parrish at the, um, I guess it would have been the Omni at the time in Atlanta mm-hmm. because everyone wanted to go see the Celtics play. Right. And everyone, like, my mom was in love with Kevin McHale too. She thought she was the only, he was the only guy that she would have left. My father for it was Kevin McHale. I have a like, friend like that. Oh, oh really? His mom, I think yeah, she she might have gone on a date with him. I don't with remember, Kevin McHale? I, I don't remember the details. I haven't talked to this friend in a while. But there was a Kevin McHale mother, love love. Fred's love mom loved uh, Kevin McHale. When I mentioned that on the air, he's like, "You're gonna you're gonna think I'm crazy." But my mom used to talk the same way about Kevin McHale, and he looks our, like a hairy coat hanger. Like I don't understand that appeal, but the '80s were a wild time. Was he Catholic? Because if he was Catholic, McHale then, probably yeah, with a name Boston. like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, then it's you know he's got all the. He's got all the things that make my mom, uh, you know, all <laughs> nice and randy. Apparently, but uh, so, the so, Celtics yeah. had a pretty big reach, I guess, in that period. They did. I mean, they were. I mean, you, you know what they I mean. You obviously know what they are. But I, um, I was a big uh, NBA guy. Um, baseball was fine. You know, I grew up around I, the Atlanta Braves, yeah. so I, 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 I liked. You know, I liked baseball. Was a, t- a game. I, I played it a little bit when I was a kid, but it still bores. It still bores me for the most part. I mean, baseball can be fun, but it's my number four. It's my number four out of all. A lot of them. people. Yeah. It's so, my number one. Baseball's your yeah. number one? Give me baseball all day. You would not know that by the way you write. Well, football's more popular and I'm a I work in the, the work business of, of, you know, 
traffic. I'd get in trouble <laughs> if I just wrote baseball all the time. It was hard to get people to read anything about baseball this year. Why, well, I mean, it was a, it's a lot of reasons. It's weird. But. I mean, it, it, well, the, the price thing probably got you a pop. Like, yeah, well, that was that was probably the biggest story of the year, and everyone commented, "Oh, I'm sick of it. Enough, stop." It's like, well, this is the only thing you've ever cared about about the Red Sox this year, so we have to. <laughs> right, right. But I don't know. Did I mean there was a lot of I'm sure discomfort in the switch when oh, yeah. you were switching. Yeah. But did the part did the fact about like staying up till like midnight watching sports, having and then having to get up at four, having to turn around that quickly, that has to be the part that's been probably the hardest. It, well. Put it this way, I was never anyone, even when I didn't have to watch the games, that I was never someone who went to bed, like, really early. Like, I, I hear these news anchors, like, you know, guys like, not David Wade anymore, but when he used to do, like, mornings, like, yeah. I would hear of him going to bed at, like, 7 or 8, yeah. and then so he can get up at, four, you know, four, 4. three. Or, yeah, and you'd be like, I can't do that. Like, life happens after 7 and 8 o'clock It's at light night. out all summer. Yeah, right. I mean, there's things to do. There's shows I want to watch on TV. There's movies to go to. There's, you know, actually, there's sports to watch. Like, I can't do that. But when I when we did switch to the sports hub, knowing that now I had to stay up till like ten thirty or eleven at least to get these games in, and then I had to be up super early because I come in before anyone else because I like to get production done. Right. I like to do a lot of stuff like that. Um, I did go to the doctor, and I was just like, "How do how do I do this the right way? Just give me an idea." Because nobody who they're like the the amount of good looking, healthy looking morning show DJs is like at a, almost zero. Everyone's aged way past what they're supposed to be. They're all losing their hair. They're all, most of them are, are out of shape. Like, how do I do this and not wreck myself? The doctor said, take another job. <laughs> he said, yes, don't do this anymore. Um, but he said uh, that, you know, you can, you can continue to sleep three hours a night as long as in the afternoon, every afternoon you take a nap. Now it can be an hour nap, it could be a two-hour nap. He said, but the other thing is is that if you stay on a schedule, you're going to be fine. That means on the weekend, if you can get in a nap you know, every day, great. It's got to be hard. It's awesome. It's the best. Like <laughs> okay. My wife will be with the kids, and I'll be like, sorry, doctor's orders, got to sleep. Sleep mask. Yep, and then it's, and then I mean, I don't always get to do it, but for the most part, I do. So, yeah, so that's I, that was the one thing about waking up in the morning that kind of sucked. That's hard. Speaking of naps, I don't know what time you need to get out of here. I've, I feel like if you need to leave, maybe we can, can you, we pick it up another time. You, you realize this is going to be the lowest rated no, podcast. No. The least amount of hits. No. Who's the least amount of hits? I can't say. Okay. <laughs> I can't say. That would be rude. This is going to be... So do we need to give them like a juicy headline or something? No. I, I think people just like... my. The idea is you guys are on the air for 20 hours every week, in some cases more. Yeah. And, you know, it's sort of... In a box. And sure. it's sort of always in a box. And there's room in that box, but it's sort of maybe going outside of that. That's the idea of the pocket. And people like it. Yeah, okay. People care about you All guys. Right. They actually You're, do? Yeah. All right. So I don't know. If you if you, if you you got like maybe 10 more minutes, maybe I could get through a few more things. Please, please, come at me. Let's, yeah. let's, 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 let's get controversial. I, I don't want to make you come back. Plus, I don't know when they're going to kick me out of the building. So I got I to gotta move, move quickly. But all right, let's see what we got here. Uh, anything on the show that you used to do that you miss doing that you wish you could bring back? You see, everyone says that. It, like, you know, like, are you, do you miss the stuff you used to do, like at BCN and stuff like that? There's, no, there's nothing we, we can't do if we don't want to. Most, right, right. most stuff that we don't do anymore is because... We don't um, have Adolfo anymore. So we don't have Adolfo, and I love Adolfo. Um, and and I and and I and I wish, you know, I, I wish we still had uh, Adolfo for many different reasons, but, you know, he's... He's done his own thing now, but I love Nick. That, that's not a slight towards oh, who we no. have now. Like, I mean, Nick's there's only great. one Adolfo Gonzalez. I think everyone understands he's that. He's great. He's great. It's the reason that we brought him up here and we paid for him to live for... Ten oh, years. Yeah. I mean, you know, for a, a year of that, Fred and I just paid for him. Yeah. Like, I mean, they, they didn't know who he was. There's actually a video on YouTube where I think Crash and Nick and someone else uh, went to his apartment and, and <laughs> like, 
black lights and everything. <laughs> the bachelor pet alpha. It was gross. It, it, <laughs> I mean, it was. They almost puked. Yeah, I mean, he Oof. went from apartment to apartment for a while. Like every, geez, it seemed like every six months he had a new place, and it was always like this, like shack in in Alston or Brighton that was a tinderbox that you could have like literally lit a match right. and the place would have gone up in flames. Or just pushed it and maybe the whole thing collapses onto itself. And for some ungodly reason, he always got the the room on the like, top floor of like four floors. So Which is good anything. in August. It's great in August. <laughs> right, right. It's nice and cool up yeah. there. You know, the fans and everything. Yeah. But, um, I'm sorry, what was even the question? What were you uh, Something like, I mean, oh. like like movie reviews. Like something like that, that you could do, but you don't do, and you're like, oh, I, well, I missed well, that. Well, well, the reason I don't do that as much, and this is kind of a, and I don't, I don't mean to, but, but when Mary got sick, I mm-hmm. couldn't go to the movies as much. Like I had to, I just right. wasn't able to go. I had Not to a priority. It wasn't a priority. And then after she, you know, got back, um, it was one of those things where, you know, I still had a lot more responsibilities on my plate. And, you know, the kids start getting older. I had, like, you know, practices and stuff to bring them That's to. That's not acceptable. It's, kids kids did not work. We don't uh, like that on this podcast. I, I know. We I know. work, work, work. It's true. The kids can fend for themselves uh, in the wild. I know. Everyone I, knows that. Felger knows this. Exactly. So, so I... um. And then I was like, you know what? I, I I didn't know if I wanted to do the same. I mean, it had been years I'd been doing the musical movie reviews and stuff like that and, like, you know, bits and stuff having to do with it. Every once in a while, I'll go and see something that's worth seeing and talk about it and, yeah, and yeah, do yeah. whatever. But um, you did that with uh, the the marathon movie. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, well, forget that, what it's called. Uh, Patriots Day. Uh, yeah, Patriots Day. Well, which that I was... think was a strong segment. <laughs> I mean, it was. It would not have fit a musical review. I don't think. <laughs> no, no, and I wouldn't have done a musical review. But uh, but what a jackass. Seriously, I, I mean, it's 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 if it weren't someone, if Mark Wahlberg weren't someone who said nine eleven wouldn't have happened if I was on the plane, then maybe you could get past the idea of building this heroic character who saved the day by knowing maps. On top of that, like it was like horribly written, like that scene where he's I didn't the see o- it. okay. Well, th- you heard us talking about the I one scene. Well, I mean, I completely understand that. Yeah, and, for, and I, 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 and I, I know why. But you heard me talking about the scene where. He's a, a, a fictional cop named Tony, Tommy Saunders, who just happens to be at all of these significant Tommy points. Tommy Saunders. Yeah, who collects, like, baseball cards. Oh, and, like, the socks are killing me this year, guy. <laughs> it's every stereotype. Lodge so, regular. So he is, uh, there's a part where he gets called in at the place that they have down by the seaport that they set up in real life, where it was kind of like the battle stations, where everyone was, you know, all the FBI would meet up and they would try to figure out all the evidence. And so they had a scale model on the ground of Boylston Street, and they were trying to figure out where the, you know, where the cameras might be. And so they, we need somebody who knows the streets. Call Tommy Saunders. So they call in Mark Wahlberg's character. and He's he got drives. a smartphone. He's got Google Maps on it. <laughs> like jackass. So they bring him in there and it's like, Tommy, we need to know what is next to Abe and Louie's. <laughs> ah, ah. And he's racking his brain. Um... Crate and barrel. Crate and barrel. The crate and barrel's right there. And then at one point they go, okay, what's on the next corner? Oh, it's... um. It's the Whiskey Steakhouse. First of all, no one's ever called Whiskey's no. Whiskey Steakhouse. No, I didn't know it was called the Whiskey Steakhouse. Second of all, jackass, there's a million pictures from when the bomb went off. You right. A, couldn't look at that, and B, Google effing maps, but he... It's but still it, standing. It's not like it was obliterated from the earth. Right, but it's, it had to be Mark Wahlberg. Heroic. Dude, it's so bad. I it's can't like imagine. Emba- it's embarrassing. It's an insult. It was yeah. an insult. But I don't... I mean... Talking about the marathon, you obviously it was basically in your front door. It right? was on my front door. Like I mean, it, it it smashed in the door. I mean, it was unfortunately where 
when one of the children died was at my door yeah. at the time, 755 Boylston. So, I mean, not to turn it into like a very serious episode sure, of sure. Returnly, but sure. you know, you had the situation where your wife was battling cancer. You had that, which is pretty, the, the bombing, which is affects anyone. It affected people that weren't even there, let alone what happens in your front door. Yeah. And you kind of kept working through it all. Was there ever a period where you're like, I need six months off? Because I feel like it's hard to be, I mean, I'm sure there was a release aspect of going to work and being goofy for a few hours or, yeah. you know, laughing. But there had to be a, like a, a element of exhaustion, no? Well, um, I mean, this helps. Like this place helps. Like yeah. I wanted to, like when I was in the hospital with my wife, I wanted to be here. I mean, I wanted to be with her, of course. But it's like I, I just needed some normalcy. Yeah. Um, now I got really, 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 really angry one day. Like there's one day that I was like, I just, I, I why is this? Ha I mean, I was like, I, I, and I think you could hear my voice in the air. I might have even started like crying. I was, I was so angry that I just couldn't even think straight that day and it was the day after the bombing it was because my wife at the time had like zero immunity mm -hmm. and she had to stay like we had to have these special cleaners from the hospital come in mm -hmm. and clean our entire apartment to make sure that there weren't dust particles that she could cough on i mean she had to stay home and not go outside wear rubber gloves when she touched anything all of her food had to be like in like prepared like right. in a certain way and you're not exactly going to stay in your apartment when that's going on outside right like literally someone could cough on her and it could kill her. Like yeah. that, that, That's how bad it was. So the day the bomb went off, uh, we're in our apartment and it goes off in front of us. And, and of course, you know, we see people running and stuff. And my wife, who has zero immunity, I've got to take her and the two kids and run through that. And, right. And like, so we, we go down this. And first of all, I don't even know if buildings are falling. I don't know if I should stay inside of our apartment or right. I should run. So we made a decision. We're like... Let's run. So we started going down the stairwell, and when we got to the bottom, our lobby, the the glass had blown, like it had blown off, and there was I'm not gonna say what was down there, but it, the, yeah, there's somebody who wasn't whole, um, and there was blood everywhere. So there's all this going on, and I'm trying to bury my son's head. And the meanwhile, I'm thinking, how old are your kids? Uh, at the time, Hank was five, and Max was two. So I had Hank, the older kid, and I'm just trying to cover his, right. like bury his head here so he can't see anything. Yeah. Especially when I first came down and I saw what I saw. Old. Five's too old. To... Five, you, you remember. Yeah. You remember five. Yeah. The two-year-old doesn't really know what's going on. Right. Um, so, yeah, and, but I'm also thinking, you know, there's, not only is this horrible stuff happening and we don't know where to go and we don't know where to run, because you had to go run out the front door right where the bomb went off. And right. I'm like, I, I, I don't know if there's more bombs because two went off. Right. So we're, we're in the lobby and I'm looking around and I'm seeing blood on the ground and I'm also thinking even any of this could kill my wife right now. And so she's got a face mask on and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing red as, as well. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness we had a, a guy who worked at the building who uh, was like the, the door guy at this little building and he said, come with me. And there was a back way that we didn't really know about and you know, in the back way, there was even blood on the way there because they had, I guess, taken one of the people and, and helped him out in the back. So we're running through there and it led us down an alley that was behind the building and I just started calling. I needed to find like a clean, safe place to bring my wife. Right. And everyone's running around. And in the meantime, I'd forgotten all of the medication that she has to take. I mean, mm -hmm. like she she was taking something crazy like 20 pills a day. Mm -hmm. And these are the things that once again... And given keep, what's going on, you can't just call a hospital and show up because there's quite a bit. They're, they're busy. Right. They're pretty busy at that time. On. So I'm calling friends and thank goodness we had somebody who didn't live too far away and they, they took us in and... and you go back and get the medicine? They wouldn't let us back. So what happened is after you got there, remember within an hour they had shut off that street. Like you couldn't go back. So they wouldn't let anyone go there whether you live there or not. 
Um, so I did call the hospital, and thank goodness, even with all that crazy stuff going on, because the hospital Mary was at was uh, Beth. Um, uh, oh, she's Beth Israel Deaconess. Mm-hmm. Not Beth. Or, the one, geez, I, I've forgotten. I'm having a brain fart. It's the one that that the guy that they brought um, a lot of the the people to. They brought them there. Not so, Mass General. No, it's not Mass General. They, uh. It's the it's the other one because I know when we got there because I called them. I said, "Do you have any medication?" And um, they said, "We can get it for you. Give us an hour." So I drove over there, and at the time, they had uh, like guys Brigham there. Brigham and Women's. Brigham and Women's. Yes, Brigham and Women's. Same area. Okay, same area. So we went over there, and they, you know, it was a weird scene, but they still got her the medication. And I remember the next day when I came on the air that morning, um, I just, I lost it. Like as soon as we cracked the mics, I just, I just started, yeah. I, I started yelling. I was like, "This has to stop! I can't believe, I can't believe this is going on." And I think I might have even started like crying on the air. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And the rest of the show, we, you know, at times, every time we tried to do a normal show, we couldn't do it. Yeah, you just had to go back to it. And so there's been, there's been a few times where I've just. And it was usually having to do with either Mary sick, but that time I remember just being angry. Like, right. And I don't ever want to listen to that show again. I never want to go back and hear it. I just know what happened, and and that was it. Yeah. And and it was and it was weird too because it was like I mean it, you know the the people the listeners they were all really cool about everything that was going on at the time and everyone was dealing with with what happened. So right. so no one gave me any crap for that, which I, I I appreciate. Yeah. Which is good. But you never you never thought like you need a month to just. No. Relax, no, sleep, rest. No, 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 no. What, what we did is after Mary got out of the hospital, I'll tell you one thing, and I'm going to miss like Mark Hannon, who was ahead of here. Him and, and Mike Thomas, or the Mike Thomas is my program director, Mark Hannon's the GM. Like anytime I needed any time, like mm-hmm. to, to either be with Mary or whatever, because it was funny, I, they just give me a ton of time off to be with Mary. But right. I was like, I told her, as soon as you get out of here and we can do it, we're taking a trip. Yeah. Like we're getting away from this. Because right. I mean, for her, it's just straight from the hospital to back home. I'm like, we're getting out of here. So after already giving me all this time off, they let me take like a week off to go out of town with with her and, and the kids. Yeah. So it was like, so that was kind of my thing. But to say that I wanted to be back is an understatement. Like all I wanted was it to be normal again, and, mm-hmm. and it ended up working out. So, so it was good. So it was good. And the people and the other thing is too is that I know this sounds really cheesy, but while that was happening, I was getting like more tweets than I've ever seen from our listeners. Well, yeah. Even guys who like, like were like who hated us, like guys who I, I knew would like, you know, kind of trolled us before. We're right. like, man, we're rooting for you, dude. Well, Cause that's gotta be the thing. It sucks to have all that play out publicly. Like most people, when their wife, wives get sick, it's sure. like this private matter and maybe no one knows about it, but you obviously it was public, which probably wears on you a little bit, but then that element of support from tens of thousands yeah. of people must have helped a little bit. Well, there was there was part of it too that you know, I I knew that I didn't want to I knew I had to talk about it because I couldn't fake it. You couldn't just not, you know, be there for days at a time. But I also didn't want to be bummer guy. You know, I didn't yeah. want to be the guy that everyone tunes in and just like, "Oh god, here he is." So it's like it even got to the point where like a year and a half later, like when my father died, I didn't tell anyone. Like I didn't even talk about it on the air. I was just gone 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 like 2 days. Yeah. And 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 Fred didn't talk about it because he never asked me whether I wanted to. So I just like he, I just, I left and I never said anything because I don't, I didn't want to, you had enough of me and my hardships. Like I didn't need to put that on people. So I just kind of let that one go. I think I've kind of, um, had my, I filled my quota of feel sorry for me moments. And yeah. so I kind of, well, I don't think, I don't think so, but well, I mean, but, but, but either way but to like, feel that obviously isn't what most people have to feel in sure. those moments. So sure, sure, sure. Uh, that was we got heavy. We got a little bit heavy. <laughs> it didn't mean to get heavy there. No, no, that's fine. I mean, it's people. People care obviously, and people have cared about you and your your life. So it's 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 still something people care about. It was great, but. and it, and the one thing I'll end with is just, I'll, I'll say that 
I kind of I know I don't want anyone to go through an experience like that obviously, but I do want them to know what I felt what I saw from people I didn't know reaching out and being awesome. Like it's like the, like I would have never known how many people if you were in a bad situation actually care mm-hmm. until you're there. Yeah. And I don't wish what was going on on anybody, but I wish that part on everyone. Right. So they I wish that everyone knew just how much people cared about them if they ever gotten in trouble. Hopefully no, there's no hopefully. There's no way. There's no way for me to bridge that. <laughs> hopefully they don't. But hopefully, hopefully they, they do. don't. But hopefully they do. Yeah, right. There you go. All right. Well, you know, thanks for the time. Obviously, it took a little bit longer than than I than, uh, I, than I promised you. Listen, all I know is that you're going to be wildly disappointed with the number of hits you're going to get. It's going to be. I don't do it for the hits. Bottom. I don't do it for the. You know what I'm learning is because we work in like like web web numbers. Yeah. It's like you need like tens of thousands, and it's like otherwise it's like. Well, what are we doing? Yeah. But with podcasts, it's like someone's dedicating an hour to listen to this. So it's like adjusting the expectations to like, a, a, if like a few thousand people listen to it, then you're like, wow, that's a lot of people listening to to a conversation that wouldn't have listened to it otherwise. So yeah. I've learned to be like really appreciative of like five people listening. <laughs> um, but we get more than that. We get, you know, it'll, well, good. It'll, be, it'll people, people will be interested. Well, good. We'll, we'll put, think of a real juicy headline of something that didn't happen to end up getting the hits. Yeah. Is there anything we didn't get to? Like, I mean, I saw Courtney Love, you wrote a song with Courtney Love, and then she published it, and yeah. then she didn't get any credit. No, she didn't. Or she crap. didn't give me credit, which is Courtney weird. Love, just when you think you know someone. Uh, listen, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't a ton that I wrote from it, but I did write a little uh, bit. But it was, that was a fun day, though. Like, that was, so, I mean, yeah, so that's what happened. It was, yeah. yeah. So I know I did, I was it was like should I go and be a jackass? Like, I like to think that if you pass up something like that, someone's passing up something against you. Like, it's like the karma's out there, and if someone has something kind of small or petty, you know, that you maybe didn't intend to do, because Courtney Love might have left that and been like, oh, I wrote this, she would have been so whacked out, and didn't know it. Yeah. Like, if you accidentally hurt someone or something like that. Like when you're like, a comedian accidentally kind of co-ops a joke. Yeah, right, right, steals a joke. I like to I think that it. when you don't follow up on something like that, it's karma getting you back, you know, it, like, you yeah. know, being cool to you later on somewhere. So some radio host doesn't say you stole his bit. <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely. Um, just, I mean, I, I, I and we'll finish. I swear. Okay. <laughs> but I was looking through like all of your, your greatest hits, so to speak. Uh-huh. And it's like Charlie Sheen, which is crazy to think about in retrospect, how large he was, how it was like Charlie Sheen somehow like controlled the national discussion every day. He was everything. And now time. he's like, oh yeah, Charlie Sheen, I remember that. Right. Yeah. But when you did that, that had to be one of like the, the, uh, it wasn't that crazy, but I mean, in terms of like high profile, grabbing a microphone and just getting something done, that had to be up there. That or Madonna at the Super Bowl. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you'd rank higher. Well, the Charlie Sheen thing was just a lot of things that had a very low percentage of happening had to happen and had to go right. You had to get a mic. I had to get a mic, but th- see, I don't worry about that. Like that's the one thing that I, I I think I'm if I'm good at anything, it's trying to put myself in the right place to do a, a bit or, or say something. Like, I, just Unless it's a Roger Goodell press conference, because that the, thing is like Fort Knox. Well, you know that they like talk to me. Yeah, they did that and, to me too. They, oh, yeah, okay. They asked what it was, and they, said, they passed. You raise your hand, they look at your credential, they radio it in, and then they're like, yeah, no. And I tried to think of a good lie, but it might have been the publication that I worked for that made them pass. Yeah. Like, it might have been that I was with the Patriot Station, and so they immediately knew... All right, this is not going to have Maybe. the tone that we want. Yeah, possibly. I yeah. mean, you would think so. I mean, at the time, Jeff Howe hasn't been able to ask a question for five years. So, <laughs> so well, maybe yeah, but, but anyway, thing. You right. got the Sheen one, obviously, yeah. and, and it, it worked. I remember I was I was at the Red Sox game that night, and parking was a nightmare because of Charlie Sheen. Oh yeah, and then uh, listened to it on the way home. Well, the weirdest thing about that was, I mean, first of all, he said yes, and then they brought me back to sit and talk with him on his bus and give them directions, but then I called Fred. And I called our program director to say, hey, listen, this might 
happen. You know, right. Charlie Sheen said he's going to be here. And I'm like, whether he's going to be here or not, I don't know. But he said immediately after the show, he's going to come down here. So I said, get to the station. That time it was like 11 p.m. or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So Fred comes down here and 1130, we're all sitting here and DA is doing the show. And I remember um, just sitting and waiting and it's like 1230, we've heard nothing. And Fred's like, all right, I'm thinking about maybe going home. We'll give him just a little bit longer. And I'm like, I don't know what to say, dude. I don't know what to do. And then at 1245, Charlie Sheen tweets out that he's going to be going to 98.5, the sports hub and do a take over the radio station. And I'm like, holy. And at that time he had like a zillion followers. Right. Like, I mean, he was like, when, when, when that thing came out, he had millions upon millions of followers. And all of a sudden my followers just started going up (laughs) and up and up. And he about... 30 minutes later, a giant bus pulled out, pulled out in front of here. He comes in with his big bodyguard and talked like a normal human being for yeah. like two hours. It was pretty good radio. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, it was still like the shtick. Yeah. Obviously, like he's a winner and all but, but stuff he was, like that. But. but he went half shtick, half like... Guy at 1 a.m. Yeah, guy at 1 a.m. who isn't really sharp enough at the moment to put his act on. Yeah. And I'm just going to talk about the the movies I made that I didn't remember making because I was so high on drugs. Right. And then we start going through his phone book. We, like, we, we tried to call Slash, and we ended up getting a hold of um, Lenny Dykstra. Remember, he was on the air with oh, us. Yeah. And right. uh, because of that, I've got like a million celebrity phone numbers. You know? <laughs> just in case. Yeah, he would hand them to us, and I would say, keep that number. And so we'd hold on to it. So, yeah, it was that was fun. That was a good time. But you still keep that up. Like, you went to Brady this year at the uh, media day. And you asked him about his uh, his 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 BS call in the station that he won't admit to. Yeah, I mean, it's so it, you gotta you like you, you can never like fully suppress that that I don't know that feeling to to I don't know the right word. I don't get I, I don't get shy. Like I'm not someone yeah. like because I, I also know that that's going to be kind of funny, and I also know that they'll probably find it funny. It was like with Gronk. You know, having right. him read the Gronking to remember. He was like, thoroughly entertained by that. He was great. Thought it was funny. I yeah. mean, it's you know if you if you don't do that or like the Madonna thing. That was great too. Well, I mean, that's that, national I, news. Well, it was because it, because it's it's such a great story that For background. You asked Madonna if A Rod had a picture of him as a centaur, a painting of him as a centaur above his bed. See, that was one. You know, you're talking about getting in the right place. Like they had people who were pre-approved to ask questions, like Entertainment Tonight and Access Hollywood and stuff. Y- yes, I've been to those ones, like y- Katy Perry and stuff like that. It's, like there's eight people that they know the questions, they know what they're going to ask. So and I it's got, usually like, "Can I take a picture with you?" Like, yes, that's usually the picture. The right? Question. Can you do a crazy dance? Yeah. How'd you, know? you get that microphone? Okay, so what happened was I walked all the way up to the front and I, I went as far as up as I could go. And in the middle of her asking questions between questions, I just yelled as loud as I could. I went, Madonna, Madonna, hi, hi, I'm Rich from 98.5 Sports. And they handed me a microphone. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. Wow. So because of that, you know, and you yell like that, all of the cameras are going to turn. Right. And so the question was able to be asked, you know, you dated A-Rod, does he truly have over his bed a picture of him as half man, half centaur? And I, what was her answer? It was like, I don't know, but he's got a picture of me or yeah, something like that. It was, it was, I don't remember the answer. It wasn't about the answer so much as it was <laughs> the whole present, because those things have a certain set, the way they go. It's like everything's scripted almost. And yeah. then you came in and it, she was just like, what? What is this? <laughs> right. Because I don't think she like approved of the questions, but you can't ignore a guy in the very front yelling right. her name. It's and a it bigger was, story if you ignore him. Oh, yeah. So everyone was so quiet. So if you yell her name, yeah. they're going to they're gonna pay attention That's to great. you. That's great. That was great. It was fun. And you got Brady to ask if you're on drugs. You yes. Got, you got Brady to break the Brady mold. He did. So that was, you know. Are you on drugs? Yeah, so that was good. That was fun. Still working.
Yeah. Still working. Yep. All right. Well, honestly, I've taken up too much of your time. I appreciate <laughs> it. We got to most of my random okay, uh, good, good, madman good. scribblings. Uh, anything else, people just have to worry or wonder. Yeah. But thank you. I appreciate it. All right. And, you know. Go hits. Go big hits. Ah, don't worry about the hits. I, I go quality. You okay. know? People, and then people who comment on things that happen like 50 minutes in, that's how you know. They were like hardcore listening. You're like, thank you. Do you ever manipulate the audio and put the good stuff at the beginning? Like, uh, no, that takes too much time. Just, I, <laughs> I, too much I, I hit stop and then I hit publish. That's Excellent. basically it. All right, thank you. All right, thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. There you go. Rich certainly kind enough to join us here, kind enough to share all sorts of stories, personal, professional, and otherwise. Hope you enjoyed it. I didn't get to, let's see, what didn't I get to that I wanted to ask? Because, you know, you might. You might be interested. You know, I wanted to maybe get into the, the Fred thing a little bit more, but I think he talked about his relationship with Fred pretty good. I wanted to talk about the change, you know, like, you know, things are changing at the sports hub, ownership, things like that, how uh, he feels about that, but we didn't we didn't quite get there. Uh, let's see. I did kind of want to know more about the Kid Craddock show because he talks about it, and I'm from Boston, so I don't really know what it's all about. Uh, let's see. We did that one. I could have done more BCN talk, but honestly, I feel like that would have been a whole podcast unto itself, and I feel like... You know, with like if you go back to the Hardy podcast, we did a lot about rock radio. It's 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 all comparable. Let's see. I did want to get into like because he talked about Opie and Anthony and how they were helpful when he got here, when they got here, and how they obviously got in a lot of trouble with the Menino prank. Is that I don't know. They got in a lot of trouble, especially with the Menino, Menino thing. So I want to talk about sort of the 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 balance to walk between you know being entertaining and being controversial and then getting in trouble, which uh, always seems to come up. Let's see. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, we, we basically did everything. Uh, yeah, we, we basically, we touched it all. The Courtney Love story. I learned that one in my research. So there you go. Rich, certainly, I appreciate him coming in, talking to you and me for all that time. And I do have guests lined up for next week. So you listen to this one. Tell your friends. Uh, make sure you get those hits because Rich is obviously really tuned in to getting hits. And I don't want to disappoint him. So tell your friends. If each of you share the podcast with five people and one of them trusts you enough, each of you will double that means we'll double the listeners and get them to subscribe and rate it and all that good stuff, iTunes. Stitch. Although if you're listening to this, you know how to get it. But tell your friends how you got it and then they can get it that same way. Science. Figured it out. All right. See you next week. I'm Dane Lobb. I'm a public safety specialist with PG&E. If you encounter a downed power line, you need to stay away from it. Call 911. Let our first responders come out and handle it. Police and fire will respond as well as PG&E. PG&E will make the scene safe.